Welcome to a Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. I'm Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello, and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear stories of female food entrepreneurs. We're glad you've joined us today. We're here to help tell stories of hope and inspiration for all our food friends out there. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Missoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Hi, Sarah. Hi, it's so nice to see you. It's today. nice to see you too. I am um, I'm excited about today because we're going to be uh, talking cookies, mm. and um, I know that you are an excellent baker and an excellent gluten free baker. So before we get into our guest, I wanted to just chat with you a little bit about baking and okay. your free baking because yeah. my my first question is before you became gluten-free. Did Mm -hmm. you bake a lot as well? Just regular? Actually, I have to dedicate my baking to my mom. My mom baked all of our bread growing up and I would sit behind the counter and watch her um, do that. And so I think that's where I learned and we would have all sorts of delicious baked goods. Um, I didn't really start baking until I was in college and there was an apple tree in our backyard. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to make apple pie from this, from these apples. (laughs) And then I was like, hey, my pie crust's pretty good. So um, from there, later on, my mother-in-law actually gave me a bread machine. Um, And bread machines are awesome because you can throw all the ingredients in there. And then like an hour and a half later, you get this beautiful dough. And I really mastered the art of every kind of cinnamon roll you could imagine using the dough from the bread machine. Actually, I wore out two bread machines and I kept calling up the company saying, hey, do you want this bread machine? I broke it. And they were like, yeah, we'll send you a new one. So that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. So I have the third bread machine now I've had probably for 15 years. So maybe I helped make it make it better it is i'm not sure (laughs) but i do uh now my joy is trying to make a gluten-free product that tastes as good as wheat and you know wheat just is it's something special it does have a beautiful protein in it called gluten and it's stretchy and resilient and it lets you do so many great things with it to yeah. make taste delicious. And my most recent thing that I did was make croissants. I think I spoke about that a couple shows ago, how excited I was that I was able to make a gluten-free croissant using someone else's recipe who spent weeks and months and years developing it. And so, yeah, I love baking. That's awesome. I am a terrible baker. <laughs> Because I don't love to follow directions exactly. I like to just like get creative and do kind of my own thing. And so for 
baking and my mom never really baked either. So I like, I'm the first one to be like, I'm so glad there's bakers out there for me to buy things from. Because it's just not my jam, but I, I love know. it. You know, my daughter loves baked goods. And so we meet so many wonderful bakers that just get to know her because, you know, she is an avid cookie and bread. I mean, she could just eat a whole baguette. That's like her deal. She's a bread, a bread, bread gal. Yeah, for sure. I get that. <laughs> love bread too. Yeah, it's good. Well, it's good to know that you have always been into baking. It wasn't just something that you started getting into when you... Well, yeah, and I'm a a super visual person. In fact, I think about this a lot in high school and chemistry. I got A's in the labs, but I, I was terrible with the like the school part about it, the learning and stuff. But when it comes to like doing something at the bench and repeating it and being accurate, I'm very good at that. So for some reason, not sure why. Yeah. We're the opposite. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Well, we have a special guest who's waiting in the wings here. I would like to welcome Andrea Ludlow, who is the owner of Showstopper Cookies. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're super glad that you could join us today. Uh, We want our listeners to be able to find you on social media and your website. Can you just connect them to those things? Tell us where to find you. The website is showstoppercookies.com and Instagram is showstoppercookies and uh, Facebook showstoppercookies. We're we're not on, I'm not on Twitter. Um, Those are be the main places to find me. Perfect. That's great. Well, um, and we'll make sure to connect you on our um, Instagram to Masonian Marshall so that people can find you there. Well, we want to um, walk through your journey as a food entrepreneur, and we know that you are a new business, and we'll kind of get into that. But um, can you just tell us when you started Showstopper Cookies? Yeah, so I um, I started Showstopper Cookies sort of in earnest in... August or September, I believe. And what had happened is I I, uh, owned and ran a school for 18 years. And um, it was time for a change from that job. And then uh, I was already planning on a change. And then COVID happened. And at the beginning of COVID, I was looking for a way to bring some joy into people's lives. And I had these cookies that Every time I did anything, I became kind of the baker for my community. So anytime anyone had a birthday party or something, they would ask me to bake something. They would always ask me, bake this cake, bake this pie, and your cookies. (laughs) So the cookies were always sort of a, you have to bring those no matter what. And so I, on Facebook, went and just said, does anyone want some dough or cookies just as a gift? And many people um, took me up on that. And then I noticed the people who were getting the dough were baking them and they looked really different from my cookies. So that was just an interesting (laughs) thing to notice. And then um, I did a fundraiser in in June for Black Lives Matter. And I was able to raise over $700 just with a bake sale with the cookies. And that was when I kind of realized, oh, I think I could try this as as a business. Yeah. That's, um, you know, we hear a lot of stories from, 
from all these different women. And it's not uncommon that whatever someone's favorite thing is to make or whatever they're known for, people are like, turn it into a business. And then when, you know, we've had so many women that are ready to leave whatever their career is that they have done for a long time. And that's usually they're like, oh, maybe I could do this. And, (laughs) And I did the same. And that was 10 years ago. And I thought, I'll go back to being a social worker. (laughs) I have a question. How did you come up with the name Showstopper Cookies? Because everything's in the name. Yeah. I have a friend who is, I've been collaborating with since I started the school. He's a graphic designer and he gets paid and the big bucks by lots of big companies to do amazing work. And he also is very smart. And he and I were doing He's very witty and a wordsmith. So we were doing a lot of back and forth with names, potential names. And I have a deep love and a history with musical theater. And I, 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 don't, I actually don't remember if I said it to him or he said it to me, but that word just came, came out. And then I was like, oh, that's it. And he encouraged me, no, you have to sit on it, think about it, say, ask some people. And I was like, no, 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 I, I'm sure that's it. And then it just was so easy for me to imagine kind of the branding of it because of my love for, you know, there's so much you can do with theater and musical theater around the word showstopper. Yeah, I noticed your little dancing cookie and it's so cute. And then I, when I was reading your web, website and you were talking about, um, you know, a performance and an encore and um, a kickball change. And I was like, oh, she must be into theater and dance. Like this is her thing. So it's cool that you can bring those passions together into yeah. your business. It's really cool. So you originally sent us a message um on our Instagram saying that you wanted to meet Sarah and I, and, you know, I know that you're new to business, but I, I figured you weren't really saying you wanted to be on the show, but I was like, I'm going to put her on the show <laughs> because I figured Sarah and I aren't really together very often. It's really just for, I mean, now you, we used to do events together and I would see her there, but now it's like, never, it's just for the show. So I figured you have us both right here (laughs) and so if you have yeah if you have anything at all you want to ask us we are here to help answer your questions (laughs) that's amazing I think you know what I did and so I know Robin Rosenberg and that is how I found you all and I've listened to many of the episodes and I learned a lot just from that and you know, I put in a call at first to market of choice. And I just, I was, I'm, I kind of just jump in. So I just, I'm like, let me try everything. And then if things don't work, then I'll start again. Or so, and then I listened to one of you talk about, you know, or maybe it was one of your guests talk about the pros and cons of wholesale, because you're not making as much money. And, you know, and so then I didn't send that email to market of choice. And (laughs) I've just been, Really, the, the and I listened to um, the Umi Organic. I know Lola a little bit as well. And so I was thinking about the fact that my cookies are perishable. And how yeah. can I, I think the biggest challenge I've had is I get an order and my dough sits for at least 48 hours. So it's going to be at least four days between the order and sending the order or delivering the order. And that I think in the future might be challenging. (laughs) So, and I've tried things like freezing the dough and it's not the same. And so I think I just was interested in 
talking to you all about how could I grow this business in every way on Instagram? How do I get it the name out there? Just those kinds of general questions. <laughs> sure. Well, um, so let's start just with the first thing that you were asking about wholesaling. So right now you just um, deliver directly to the customer, right? I do. I actually just, I cold called a coffee cart that I thought was cute and said, yeah. do you want to sell my cookies? And I'm going, I'm going to do the moon market next Saturday. And so that'll be my first market. And I've also applied to do a farmer's market, the Woodstock farmer's market this summer. But other than that, yes, it's just direct to consumer from my website. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, of course I think you should talk to other bakers and we've had a few on the show, but, um, you know, for me, I think that it's always best to sell directly to the customer. You know, I made the most money in my first year of business when I just sold sauce myself, you know, because I didn't, I wasn't wholesaling. I wasn't doing, you know, there's all different kinds of wholesaling. There's like wholesaling where you drop it off at the store. There's wholesaling where it's, um, you know, like a drop ship kind of thing where it's ordered through a website and then they take a percentage. There's like distributors where you pay them a percentage. So all of those things, you start to make less and less money, which is okay if you're making a lot of cookies or a lot of sauce um, because you're getting all these accounts, but then your business needs to be bigger. So you kind of have to figure out, you know, I had to make some decisions early on. Did I want to have a big team where we went, where we made sauce and it went everywhere? Or did I want to keep it small and um, you just kind of pick and choose where we were? And we decided to do that just because I didn't want to have a big production space or a big kitchen or a big team of people. So what I do is I just, I do wholesale, but I'm, I'm pretty limited to who I wholesale to. And I, I will only do orders if they're ordering like a bigger quantity so that I'm not like having to deliver one case of sauce to them every week because that, because that's me delivering it. So it's a little bit challenging. So those are kind of all things that you have to keep in mind, but I think it'll be really good for you to see how it is just selling at the farmer's market and selling at in-person events. Because I think what most bakers do, if they're, if they're a smaller, you know, team or just even one person is they won't do wholesale to stores. They will just do direct in-person events. So farmer's markets, night markets, things like that. So I think that's a good start for you to see how it goes. So my question would be, with from your question, I have a question for you, basically. <laughs> so one of the things you told us was that you did sell some dough and you saw pictures of how people baked the cookies, but they didn't look like your cookies. And so I think that is something that we would need to look into and figure out why that happened. Um, and I have a feeling it probably has to do with the temperature of the oven and how people use their ovens. And so maybe having the dough business is something that you really do need to explore. And also um, you mentioned that if the cookies are in the freezer, they're different. So that would have to be something we would have to look at to expand your business because there, there is probably a way to make it so that they can go into the freezer and come out as the same cookie that you know and love. Mm -hmm. And then thirdly, <clears throat> The thing that's keeping your product delicious over time is actually a thing called water activity. And that's the moisture that's in the cookie that's available um, for basically for bacteria to grow. But what's happening in your cookie is that it's going stale. So we have a staling 
that's what happens with chocolate chip cookies. They lose their moisture and they just sort of start to dry out and they just aren't as delicious as the day we bake them. And so there's some tricks and tips that um, people can try to see if you can extend the shelf life. Yeah. So if you, if you were going to go into stores, that would be something you would probably want to do. Yeah. And it it may be just as simple as um, if you want to keep butter in there, you might have to switch to ghee. Oh, because basically butter has a pretty high percentage of moisture in it. And so if you just eliminate that moisture from the get go, um, you'll be partially solving that problem. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's an exciting and, tip. Um, oh, I was going to say something about, oh, you just said it, Sarah. Now it went away. <laughs> it, was in, it was in there somewhere. Oh. oh, oh, I was thinking about recipe writing. So, oh, so when yeah. you sent the cookie dough home with people and it looked different, it also could have just been about the instructions and the way that you instructed them to do that. Because I learned that right away when I started writing recipes and, um, and people would tag me in photos and I would be, <laughs> You'd be like, like Whoa, <laughs> that is not what I wanted them to yeah. do. And, it, and it's never about the person. It's about me as a recipe writer. And so I had yeah. to like right away, you know, anytime that we do a recipe, I'll, ha- I'll write it now before we like publish it on our website. Or, you know, if I'm doing something for a magazine article or something like that, I have my husband always make it to, to see what it's going to turn out like. Cause it's, it's like, I know what I mean. And I know how most recipes are, I, you know, I know like the format of a recipe and I've written a lot of them, but I sometimes, because I know what I'm thinking and I'm the person writing it, then it's like, I'm telling people a totally different thing. So it's good sometimes to whoever it is that you sent that cookie dough with, just talk to them about it and say, okay, when I wrote, you know, put this, this far apart, was I not as specific as I needed to be for how far yeah. apart, like does right. a measurement help? Does a color help? All of those things. And so, preheating, <laughs> preheating the oven is critical. In fact, you might want to consider suggesting having a pizza stone in the oven when people heat up and I was talking with some of my other uh, friends or last week and we were talking about pizza and one of them said, if you heat your oven to 500 degrees for one hour before you bake, you will never have a bad pizza. And and then I was talking with another friend and she's like, I got this new, you know, countertop microwave oven thing and I can't get it to work. So we have people that are baking in all sorts of different (laughs) kinds of equipment and I think preheating is the main problem that people are having. They think they can just put cold cookie dough into the oven that wasn't really preheated. And so it may be that they have to set your cookie dough balls out for an hour before they bake them. Oh, yeah. Because right. you're not refrigerating your cookie dough when you make it, I'm guessing. Um, well, well no, it is refrigerated. Okay, it is refrigerated. Yeah. But I think, I mean, everything you're mentioning, I think is, and that cookie dough, I was actually just giving away to friends, but it was such a good test and experiment for me because people Mm. have since asked if they can buy the dough. And I've said, no, (laughs) I'll only sell the cookies because I don't 
feel it's not going to be my cookie if somebody else bakes it and doesn't have an oven thermometer or doesn't use, you know, just doesn't do the same things as me. So, yeah. So that's another thing that you have to sort of wrap your hands around is that you have to let go of some of the perfection that you have around your cookie. Otherwise you, you won't sell as much as you need to sell. So you might have your perfect cookie in the middle, a picture of it, and then four or five other cookies around it that are still good enough for you. And you can have a description of what you did differently on that, how you baked it the wrong way and all that stuff. And this is normal for even Betty Crocker does this, like General Mills in their test kitchens. They do they make all of those cake mixes the wrong way. Every variable of wrongness is <laughs> is used in deciding what the right um, way to do something is in food. So that is invaluable advice for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, ladies, and we'll come back and talk about your specific cookie and some other things about your journey and how people can get it. And then if you have more questions for us, we're here for you. So we'll be right back after a quick break. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, we're back. Thanks for hanging on with us. I was curious if you could tell us how you decided what chocolate chip to use in this beautiful cookie that you're making. Ooh, good question. So... When I was doing it just for myself and my friends, I would just buy, you know, I would go to New Seasons or Whole Foods and buy a slightly higher end chocolate chip, but I wasn't always paying attention. I, I always, though, put two, two kinds, a semi-sweet and a bittersweet. So it's a mix of both. Um, when I decided I needed to buy wholesale, I did a lot of looking around and um, figuring out what was accessible to me. And you'll hear me mention a lot. I have a friend who, so I have I have a friend whose um, stepfather works for Guitard, and he was willing to talk with me and was so kind and put me in touch. He has worked there for maybe fifty years. He put me in touch with someone who's worked there sixty years, who put me in touch with somebody else who's worked there forty years. They were all so lovely and finally hooked me up with um, Choco Sphere, which is in Tualatin, I believe. Yeah, Tualatin. That's where I'm getting. So I'm buying Guitard and it's half bittersweet, half semi-sweet. And they're two different sizes. And I just like the way they play with each other, the flavor and also the size of the way they melt. So I'm going to tell you you're in good company because he's candy uses guitar chocolate exclusively. Isn't that your favorite chocolate, Sarah? I think I mean, you told yeah, us that before. Of yeah, it's my favorite yeah. chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've gone through lots of projects using chocolate, evaluated all the chocolates, brought them into the lab, and tasted them all. And I almost 100% of the time settle on guitard. Yeah. Oh, it's so exciting. Isn't, isn't and then that this one time I had dinner with a bunch of people from Mars, and I was like, yeah, I was copying the Snickers bar and 
I figured out that there was a coverture from guitar that was the best match. And the guy's all, well, figures the guy running the chocolate um, program there used to work at Mars. And I was like, <laughs> I'm on to you. For a second, Sarah, I thought you were saying you had dinner with pe- people from Mars, like aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh man, this is getting wild. <laughs> the candy company because yeah. you just, that's, that's so yeah funny. of course i meant the candy company <laughs> <laughs> oh that's perfect well andrew doesn't it feel good to know that you made the right chocolate choice i mean you're hearing it from sarah who is like the expert and that's her fave my fave <laughs> so exciting yeah <laughs> Have so you good. have you ladies ever had those? I I just saw it on Instagram one time, but there's there are those new chocolate chips that 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 are like a dome that the guy from Tesla Cars designed or something like that. Have you guys yeah. tried those? Yep, I have a bag. What um, do you think about them? They're super delicious, are and they? that's dandelion chocolate down in San Francisco. Um, one of my friends. A uh, writer did a piece on them, and I was like, "Hey, give me some of that chocolate." So <laughs> I was wondering about them because they started them. popping up in everybody's feed. Yeah, I promised them I would do a a thing, so I baked cookies and put it on my Instagram. <laughs> cool. Do you but think the, you think they're better than the guitar or no? Dif- different. I think they're different. Yeah, um, the shape is unique for sure. What does the shape do for it? Does it do anything? Or does it just I look mean, cool? One, I think it's kind of cool because one of the things people have been doing is taking big chocolate bars and chopping them up. Yeah. And putting large chunks of chocolate in their cookies. One of our past guests is famous for that, Jamie Curl. She yeah. always makes these cookies with enormous chunks of chocolate in them. And so she, you know, for all I know, she started that trend. I'm not sure. Yeah, she's the one that told, I mean, that's the only way when I make chocolate chip cookies, because she told me that when we, when I met her, that you had to cut up chocolate chip, you know, you had to cut up chocolate bars for your chocolate chip cookies. And I was like, okay. And for that, (laughs) if you want to do that, you should buy them at Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's has some really good Belgian chocolate bars, big one pounders that make good chocolate chip cookies. Cool. Now we know. (laughs) (laughs) So let's, let's talk a little bit more about your chocolate chip cookie, Andrea. We we know you care about your ingredients. So you um, have made these decisions about getting, you know, use Bob's red mill flour, right? That's Mm -hmm. your flour choice. You use good chocolate. What other things do you think about when you're choosing your ingredients? I mean, I think about everything. When I was making them just for myself and my friends, I would buy, you know, make sure I was using the eggs that are $12 a dozen and the butter, you know, but I can't do that as much now that I'm making it a larger scale. But I really do try to use the best ingredients that I can because I I feel like I can taste the difference even with the eggs and the butter. Um, The baking soda and baking powder are all from Bob's as well. I use kosher salt and then also Malden salt for the top. And um, the original recipe is kind of based on the New York Times recipe that 
people, I, I did taste tests with my friends where I would make the dough and then we'd try the cookies after 24 hours or 48 hours, 72 hours to see if we could taste the difference. And just reading about that recipe and how much the size of the cookie is important has to be larger so there can be that crunch to the chew transition. <laughs> it was very important as well. So I think about all of that. And because I've baked these cookies so many times and have made mistakes or um, I've seen what happens if it's if the cookie dough is frozen, for instance, they get too they bake too slowly and they spread too large and they're too thin for, for me. So um, and also the pan banging to get them to be um, all cratery, which I also really like. So it's based on the New York Times recipe with some slight variations that I've made over time. <laughs> And so if people go to your website, they'll see that you just have this, you know, you have one cookie that you make one perfect cookie. And I think that's really nice. We always talk about sometimes people are overwhelmed with choices. So I think it's really cool that you do that. But you also do some um, specialty baking if people want, right? Could you mm -hmm. give us some examples of what kinds of things you can do if somebody needed something special? I like to think that almost anything anyone would ask me to do, I would try. <laughs> um, I, most of the things that have been, that I've done special order are, are birthday cakes. So someone will say, you know, that it can be very general from, I want a chocolate cake with chocolate icing that serves eight to 10 people or much more specific. I want, you know, an apple pie with cheddar crust or something, you know, so I try to just indulge whoever's asking because I just really love baking and I love the science of it. And I love trying new things. My, my niece who's four, she, she doesn't pay me to make her cakes, but she is definitely <laughs> one of the ones having those special orders. And she is very specific. And last year she wanted a very, you know, a dome cake that was a purple mushroom that had mint inside of it. You know, it was just very, very specific. And I <laughs> went for it and made it. And so um, I really, cool. I really enjoy the, uh, for my birthday, I'm always like, what is the most complicated baking recipe I can find that will take me four days? That's my <laughs> birthday present to myself. <laughs> so I like the challenge of complicated recipes you should get on the great american bake-off or whatever yeah yep. any any of those baking shows even um i don't i know sarah i told you i was watching a lot of hallmark movies over christmas because that <laughs> yeah. was like where i was at it was like i needed something to, where i didn't have to think about the craziness of the world so i watched a lot of hallmark and they have a hallmark um baking show where they have all these different characters from the hallmark movies that will come on with bakers <laughs> that have a bakery or not sometimes it's just home bakers but if you can get on a tv show like that it brings you so much good press and business and it doesn't cost you anything even if you don't win and it's pretty easy to pitch yourself to those kinds of places yeah. you know you just go online and you're like hey look i have this awesome business i make these well, cookies and then i recommend oh watching all the seasons of the great british bake-off oh you've seen you it <laughs> it's very close to my heart that show i think the time constraint would really stress me out but i see what i hear what you're saying that even if you fail it just brings you press and it's self-promotion yeah, really like yeah. promoting yourself in the area that you are excel is super important yeah i'll check it out i'll look into that that's good advice <laughs>
<laughs> I don't think that I think you have to be British to do the British one, but I know there's yeah, we have some there's other ones. <laughs> there's a lady here in Portland. Her um her thing on Instagram is resting bake face. And she was on the American Bake Off a couple of years ago. So you can follow her. I okay. tried asking her to come on the show, but she she was like, What? Nah. <laughs> I thought I was weird. Not here. <laughs> have to ask her again. And um, where do you currently make your cookies? Do you have like a commercial kitchen space or do you make them at home? I um, rent a space. So I just, I called, a, I just started calling um, caterers because it was COVID and I knew people weren't going to be really using their kitchens and had a lot of relationships forming and a lot of possibilities. And then there was a spike in cases and people who were using their kitchens for anything just didn't want an additional body. So I found is actually a parent, um, a former parent from my school whose kid now is in high school and she has a caterer with her mom and um, they are renting me their space. It's really close to my house. We just don't use it at the same time. And so that's where I'm doing my baking. And even that, like you were saying, Sarah, when I got in there the first couple of times, their ovens are different from my oven. They have two Mm. ovens. And I just, I've been baking in my oven for so long that there was definitely a learning curve there. Yeah. I think those are the people that have the hardest time going into a commercial space are definitely bakers because they are used to doing it at home and every oven is different. And especially commercial ovens are a lot different. I mean, Um, one trick is that with a confection oven, they're 25 degrees hot. Also, I reset my oven every time I put something in the oven to see what temperature my oven is at. And a lot of times it'll drop even like a hundred degrees when I put stuff in and then I'm not paying attention. And I think I can just have the product in there for what, 18 minutes or whatever. And it's like not coming out baked. And so it took me a few times of figuring out that I had to reset the thermostat on the digital panel so that the the oven would be like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be at 425. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh, amazing. That happens a lot. I had this one woman that was having a hard time with one of the recipes that I wrote and I couldn't figure out why. I'm like, I don't know. It could be your oven. Let's like, let's talk through it. And it was every, every time she would check it, she would check it. She would open the oven and check it. It was not even hot enough. And she would do it every few minutes. And she's like, well, you said that it needed to be, you know, golden, but she couldn't see through her oven window. So she was (laughs) opening it up to check to see if it was golden. And I was like, no, I'm like, it shouldn't take an hour at all. (laughs) But it sure did. (laughs) Yeah. And some commercial ovens, they'll have baffles in the back. Um, And you have to open that up so it releases the steam. And I actually helped a little bakery down in, uh, it's down near um, Rogue Creamery where they make the blue cheese. They had a cookie factory there. They were making like 10,000 big cookies a day. And they had two small countertop ovens that held like six trays. And every oven was kind of giving them different results. And we figured out that the baffles and in the back of the ovens weren't set correctly. And so one was open, one was closed. The one that was closed was trapping the steam. The one that was open was letting it all go. So they would get different results. 
Wow. Yeah. You have so much useful information. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. She's, yeah. she's seen it all over the years, I'm sure. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so Andrea, you, um, you started this business uh, it, since COVID started, which um, we haven't had anyone on yet that that's been the case. And so I wanted to just kind of talk about what that's like for you a little bit. Um, Cause it's, I first want to say congratulations to first starting a business in one of the hardest times to start a business. <laughs> I yes. think that's really great. You have done something amazing just in achieving that and finding a place to make it and, you know, figuring out what you were going to do. That is wonderful. But can you tell our listeners a little bit about what was challenging? What was easier than you thought? How are things going with that with starting a business during COVID? Well, I, I don't, I've never done this before, so I don't know how it's going. <laughs> I think there's definitely places where I'm wishing, you know, I, in the, maybe in the last two to three weeks, I started getting more steady orders from people who I have no idea who they are. And even before that, I would get an order from a name I didn't recognize, but I knew, oh, so-and-so gave them a cookie or, you know, I would be able to trace it. So that's pretty new getting orders from strangers. And I just happen to have such a large and generous family and friend community that that has been sustaining the business. And a lot of people are giving the cookies as gifts. So that I hope then translates into more sales. I think the the challenge of finding a kitchen was big because mm -hmm. even just getting in touch with people wanting to share space is not, no one wants to do that right now. Of course, uh, totally understandable. And, um, and building the website, that's still a work in progress, almost done, but that's been something to get exactly how I want it has been a bit of a challenge. And then just figuring out how to, how to have more people know about the cookies. You know, I think that's, that's still the challenge right now. I, I don't know. If it'll just, I, I, I sort of have this hope. Well, the cookies, I think they're delicious enough that everyone who tastes one will think they're delicious, will tell one person, and that will, just like the shampoo commercial from the 70s, they'll so tell a friend and they'll tell a friend. And then, oh, L'Oreal, I think that was L'Oreal, was yeah. It? Well, <laughs> your competitor, Girl Scout Cookies, just started sending out their digital cookie.girlscouts.org links and they're selling their cookies for five dollars for a box oh geez <laughs> so don't be surprised if your sales go down a little bit during the girl scout cookie um stuff so you might want to just send out a note to people and say hey instead of buying girl scout cookies buy them for me i'll charge a dollar extra and donate a dollar to the girl scouts because their <laughs> cookies not to be mean they're just not that good yeah that's a great not. idea that's a great idea <laughs> Yeah, I think that creative like that. Yeah. And that's the best way I think that um you know in the beginning it's really your friends and family are they're not only your only business but they're your only um marketing, you know, so they are the way that other people find you and I remember the excitement. I still am like that though. If I get an order from somewhere I'm like I don't know anybody in Michigan. This is so cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> cuz it's like I really I for a long time, I only really I knew every person I was selling sauce to. It's not that way so much now, but um, I still feel excited when it is someone that I don't know. But I think the best people for you to help spread the word are people you know. And um, you know, I think Instagram is a really good 
marketing tool. You know, we are pretty active on that. You you mentioned not being on Twitter. I don't think Twitter is great for food. I think it's good for politicians and sports fans and comedians, <laughs> but that's about it. It's it's fun to go on there and um and see what's happening, but I don't think it brings a ton of business to food businesses. You know what we need is a cookie ambassador for you. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I get one of those? Well, I mean, I have to who's say, your favorite I, movie star? That's yeah. who I always ask. I haven't asked that. that in a long time, but if you had a favorite movie star, maybe you could send them your cookies and they could become your cookie send, ambassador. Um, cookies to Mark Marin. I don't know if you're familiar oh, with him. Yeah. From- and he actually mentioned them twice, um, but it was just in passing and it was really amazing, but it was just in passing. You have and- to keep sending them to them. So um, <laughs> Sisters Coffee sent coffee to the Food Innovation Center, 20 pounds a month for two years. <laughs> we are all addicted to Sisters Coffee at the Food Innovation Center. Well, the other thing that you can do is if you know where, if Mark Marin talked about you and your brand on his podcast, then you can tag that in your Instagram and tag him and then tag anybody else that you think, you know, you want to know about your cookie. And those kinds of things get like re, you know, like in your stories, like re-tagged and redone. And you just reach out to, I mean, if Mark Mirren retweeted it, you would have a bunch of online business. It's called guerrilla marketing. Yeah. I'm all about it. I, that's the way I do everything. (laughs) Yeah. I, I I am going to keep, yeah, I'm trying to find people that have a slightly smaller following because I feel like (laughs) they might mention it more. And I've had some luck. The the woman, her name is Amelia, and she used to cut my hair pre-COVID and color it. And she has a really large Instagram following and she's lovely. I brought her some cookies. She posted about them a bunch and I got a ton of new followers from it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to figure out who that, where to get you know, who to send them to and who, how it will work. And then learning so much about it for sure. Yeah. It's kind of fun though. I think it's like fun and exciting to like find new people that way. But really I do think ask your friends and family to, um, you know, put it out there too, especially if it's like, you know, whatever, Facebook, Instagram, things like that. That's a really good way to bring in new customers because people trust the people that they know. So, you know, anybody that you already have that loves your cookies, have them tell their friends about it. Uh, You mentioned you were going to do the PDX Moon Market. Can you tell people what that is and where it is and tell us about it? So it's a market that's taking place. I hope I get all this information right. I apologize, Moon Market, if I get it wrong. It's taking place over four days in um, early February, and it's down in Northwest Everett and Ninth. And there's an inside and outside section it's you can RSVP. They're going to limit the amount of people, of course, masks on. And I'm going to be outside sharing a table with my um, best friend who makes pottery. So she's going to have half the table and I'm going to have half the table. And um, I think if I first I thought it focused on women, but maybe not. But it's local artisans and um, crafts, food, all sorts of different things. I, they have a really beautiful Instagram site that's every day they kind of focus on a new person that's going to be selling at one of the markets. And so I think I heard about it from something that also Robin Rosenberg, Bobby's Boat Sauce told me about, which is a Google group that's for small business food people. Um, yeah. 
I think it's the one that Hannah does. We had her on as a guest too, the Pacific Northwest Makers Group. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, yeah. And so someone posted about it and I just said, I'll try this. <laughs> so that's that's how I found out about it. And they've been really helpful and I'm excited to try it. It'll be my first time doing something like this. So That's exciting. First events are... Um, good and weird because <laughs> you'll <probably> really <laughs> sell out I would think. yeah I think you'll probably sell a lot of cookies and I, I think it's always very exciting to have your first event you only get that once so enjoy it and just know that you're not going to know how to answer everybody's questions the first time like I yeah I didn't know what people were going to throw at me but um I got a lot of weird questions or I mean I thought they were weird but then I realized they're totally normal now I'm pretty much <laughs> ready for anything because I've done so many events I've been you should at. have uh you should have take pre-orders um have people pay you and take pre-orders and then have some yeah stuff ready um, make sure and have a notebook with that information and and totally sell pre-orders good idea yeah, I've already been struggling with how I don't have any idea how many cookies to make. And what if I have a ton left over, but I've done some strategizing. I have some people who get cookies once a month because I have a cookie club. Mm -hmm. And so I've asked them if they would wait and get their order if there's leftovers from the market. And if not, I'll make their cookies then. So I'm trying to just strategize in those ways. Those ways. Yeah, I think that you will, even if you have cookies left over, you'll find a way to sell them. I mean, yeah, I've and even had if that you, happen. Even if you don't sell them, you should be a benefactor to somewhere in the city so that you can mm -hmm. let people know that you donated cookies to somewhere, to a yeah. care facility, maybe a nursing home where people That's are isolated idea. or... Yeah, it's good to pick something that you really are passionate about. You know, a lot of the farmers will donate to like urban gleaners and they're great for turning something that's not food into food. But I think for you, since it's already something made, you can just find an organization that you love and, you know, donate it to them. And then, yeah. and that can be part and that's, of your you mission. You can write that off then. So it's not really a loss. It's a marketing expense. Right. And so yeah, then I've been donating some... a lot to the PDX resistance bakers, but that's, they don't just have an open, you know, they'll have an event and say, we need cookies for mm -hmm. this event. So um, I don't know if they're, but that's a, a care facility is a great idea. Well, we only have a couple minutes left. So I, you mentioned your cookie club. Let's tell people about it. What is a cookie okay. club? So it's called the Kooky Cookie Club and my, my friend Jamin named it. And you can sign up for six or 12 cookies delivered once a month for 12 months. And then that's what you get. <laughs> and, um, and I think I have six people signed up. One of them is my mom. <laughs> she still counts. And, um, <laughs> and um, one friend gets them and then she breaks them up into smaller bits and gives them away. She's given them to her postal worker and the person who pumps her gas. And so she's just kind of spreading the word out there about the cookies and um, because it's too many cookies for her to have in the house. Oh, and my sister is another member. So it's, it's, a, it's a close knit group. See what I mean? Your family is going to be your biggest supporters until they don't have to be. I mean, that's the way it was for me too. Like we have a sauce of the month club. I knew the two people that were in it my first year, that was it. And then now, you know, I don't even know the people. So 
you got to start somewhere. And luckily you have lovely family members to support you. <laughs> I'm so, so grateful for my it family. Works. Hey, this one lady that I worked with, she got her mom's um, garden party list from Chicago. And she started her brownie business with mail order from that list. Amazing. It's a good way. Good way to do it. Amber Fitzsevens. <laughs> she was out in... Um, Hood River for a really long time. I think she moved back to the Midwest. I don't know if she's still making her brownies, but she yeah, I do. Um, I have a friend, Greg. I have to give a shout out to him because he, in the first three months, ordered. He works in the stock market, and he sent two dozen cookies to probably thirty clients just all over the East Coast, and that definitely kept my business afloat. And I'm so so appreciative. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Shout out to your buddies. <laughs> well, before we wrap it up, is there any, did we have, did you have any other questions for Sarah and I that we can answer for you? I don't think so. I have to digest all of this amazing information. <laughs> I probably will have more questions, but for now I feel full of really amazing and useful information. And thank you so much for yeah, having me. As you get for ready joining. for your first event, if you have any questions about um, setting things up and setting things up to be safe for COVID, I can help you with that because we have done events both ways <laughs> so, amazing so you could just if anything comes up maybe send me an email and um and i can help answer it for you thank you so much That's i nice. appreciate that so you don't have to stay up at night thinking about if you remembered <laughs> everything we have we have How like a, you know we have a checklist i can just send it to you and then you'll be like yes this is all i need oh, oh i love a checklist <laughs> that's good <laughs> Well, Andrea, thanks for joining us today. Yes. We want to, um, why don't you tell people your website one more time? Cause that's the best way to order from you. www.showstoppers.com. Perfect. Everybody go order Andrea's cookies or mm. you can find her at the full moon market. What's it called? Night PDX moon market. PDX moon market. <laughs> or at Bella Luna coffee. Bella's in a coffee. So go try Showstopper Cookies. Thanks for uh, being on the show today. It was so great to meet you and to chat with you and to get to know about you and your business. Thank you. Thank you. We record Missoni and Marshall live every week. Find us on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you to our audio engineer and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can send us a message to our Instagram, Missoni and Marshall, and we will be back next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Bye. Bye for now. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of Meaningful Marketplace. As a family-owned organ grocer for 42 years, Market of Choice strives to inspire, mentor, and assist a diverse group of local producers and foster equity in our communities. With 11 stores in Oregon, Market of Choice supports these craft makers, as well as farmers, fisher folk, and ranchers by bringing more than 7,000 local products to market. Together, we form a sustainable, community-based food system that serves our great state. To learn more, go to marketofchoice.com. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.